Centuries of freedom have taught us to think in terms of continuous improvement of an always better future. Welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. I'm Matthew House Barbie, and in this episode, I am speaking to Nat Lyerson. Uh, I've been um, a, a friend of Nat's for uh, a good few years now, and most of our interactions have been centered around our our time and lives spent in in Web two. And what we dig in in this interview, which I think is a great one for anyone considering jumping into the world of Web three, is Nat's journey from um, basically kind of downing tools about a year or so ago, uh, maybe a little bit longer in the Web2 world and deciding that, you know, he wanted to get much more skin in the game when it came to Web3 and DeFi in particular and decided, hey, I'm just going <laughs> to go and learn Solidity and I'm going to start building things and I'm going to start contributing to projects. And one of those projects that he contributed to is Crypto Raiders, which... It now has like two of the top 10 tokens by liquidity um, on Polygon. Uh, and the, I mean, the, the, they're doing a huge amount of activity within the game itself. Uh, secondary market sales are pretty huge on their NFTs. And just overall, it's just a really exciting and interesting experience. And Nat talks a lot about how he now is in the role where he runs and manages the treasury in Crypto Raiders, amongst a few other things. But how he kind of just, you know, they, they, the team there that we're building took a chance on him and he was figuring stuff out as he grew and uh, talks a little bit about how he kind of got to where he is today and the, the story along the way. I think it's a great one for anyone who wants to understand how projects are being formed and built. And if you're in, interested in play and earn, which we've been covering quite a bit on the, the podcast of late, you, there's there's a lot here that you're going to take enjoyment from. So, as a separate note, Nat's actually just a really nice guy and he's very honest and he's been doing a really good job of uh, putting out great education into the crypto, DeFi, GameFi space for quite a while now. A great person to follow on Twitter. He also has a great newsletter. Um, so we go in real detail on all of this inside the, the podcast, which we're going to jump straight into right after this. If you're struggling to get your head around the complexity of decentralized finance, I have something just for you. Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step -step tutorials on how to start generating income from your crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view, or just want to better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining, and staking works, the course will have something for you. Head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn more. Nat, welcome to the Decrypting Crypto podcast. Uh, we've known each other for a little while now. It's uh, great to have you come on the show. Why, why don't, for everyone listening, you just give a little bit of background into you, your story, and how you landed in the Web3 space? Yeah, well, this is kind of fun because we've done at least one podcast before, and that was back when we were both completely in the, the content marketing world. So before this, I uh, ran a SEO content marketing agency called Growth Machine. And, you know, we worked with a lot of kind of like e-commerce and tech companies helping them with their like SEO, mostly through content. Uh, I was running that from 2017 till the end of 2020 and then handed it off to our then COO, now CEO, and was kind of figuring out like, <clears throat> what do I want to do next? So I had this period at the very end of 2020, but really the beginning of 2021, where I was thinking like, okay, you know, I, I've got some time to think about where I might want to focus my energy. I'm not really sure what I want to work on yet, but it's kind of a, a fun space to be in. So tried tried a, a variety of things, got into YouTube stuff for a bit, got into commercial real estate stuff for a bit, and then kind of settled on two things at the same time. One was learning programming. 
because I'd always been very interested in learning programming, but had never had the kind of like time and energy to fully focus on it. And previous attempts had been interrupted by shorter term needs to make money. So I had a little bit more uh, time to go after it uh, this time. And, and then the other factor was just, uh, or the other thing that really caught my interest was crypto. And you know, I've kind of like weaved in and out of it a little bit over the last however many years. I, you know, I, I remember the 2013 kind of spike. I was in college at the time, and uh, you know, a friend and I like we had either set up. I think we'd set up mining rigs on our like gaming computers. We were messing around with it, and uh, you know, that's all long gone, of course, and uh, didn't make any money off of it. And I, I don't know, I don't know how much <laughs> we actually probably, collected at the time. Probably I, best not to think about. Yeah, exactly, best not to think about these things. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, you know, kind of like said, oh, this is cool, and then forgot about it for a while. And then <clears throat> 2016, 17, got interested again when all the like ICO stuff was happening. And it's kind of fun because I wrote a couple articles on my blog about crypto back then, kind of saying like, hey, you know, if you're interested, here's all the good papers to read. And, you know, here's, you know, if you, if you want to start investing in it, but you're not sure what to do, here's how you can like dollar cost average your way into uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I've got these screenshots on my blog of Bitcoin at like $4,000 telling people to start dollar cost averaging. So that's like my, my proof that I've been here longer than, <laughs> than a year. Um, but so, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, we, we launched the podcast in around 2017 and felt like, you know, complete industry noobs. And a, a lot of the people that I speak to in the space now, it's like, you know, if you, you were even looking at stuff in 2016, 2017, it feels like you're, you're an industry veteran at this state, which is kind of crazy. Totally. Um, but I think because of everything that's happened over the past two years in particular, I think it's just like accelerated more mainstream adoption, right? Absolutely. And this was my problem back in 2017 was I, I was very interested in it, but there wasn't really anything to do. There was holding, right? And, you know, maybe you could like do an ICO and like launch a shit coin or whatever and take a bunch of people's money. But there were, there were very few legitimate projects being built in the space. And, uh, you know, the vast majority of stuff that launched then is now dead. And as a kind of like, solopreneur hacker type individual there there really wasn't that much to do unless you were like highly highly technical which i was not so kind of just forgot about it uh but i let that like dollar cost averaging strategy run from 2017 until <clears throat> today and then when i was kind of like in this period of trying to figure out what to work on next i you know i just ended up like looking at my Coinbase because everything was going crazy and it was like, oh shit, this kind of like turned into a lot of money. Like maybe I should <laughs> play around with this some more. So <clears throat> the the thing that really pulled me in was all of the DeFi stuff. And I've always been really, really interested in personal finance, uh, entrepreneurial finance, business finance, that mostly from the perspective of like capital allocation is in many ways like the highest leverage skill in the world, right? Like it doesn't matter uh, how good you are at anything else. Like the ability to control and deploy capital is like one of the most powerful tools at like our disposal. And uh, both on an individual level, right? Because it, it kind of decides how much freedom and flexibility you have to, you know, do things with your time in life, but also as a business, as a community, as a nation state, whatever, right? Like the, the allocation of capital is incredibly powerful and important. So, you know, looking at DeFi, I was like, oh, this is actually pretty fascinating because the, it, it was solving two things that <clears throat> I felt were, were big issues. You know, one was kind of like democratized access to certain types of financial instruments, right? Like uh, as, a, as a retail investor in, in TradFi, you have no ability to invest in highly speculative new things on the market. And I think for a uh, for a very unsophisticated, easily exploitable individual, this is a good thing, right? Because you don't want like to get taken for a ride by a Wolf of Wall Street type who can, you know, sell you some penny stocks. But for a fairly savvy yet unconnected individual, it's a huge limitation because if you're, you know, if you're like some kid from 
Calcutta, who's like read every financial textbook and is incredibly savvy on, you know, startups and like internet technology and who could really accurately identify what types of technologies are going to do well over the next five or 10 years. Like it doesn't matter because you don't know all of the rich people in Silicon Valley who can give you access to invest in those opportunities. You're basically cut out of the market. Uh, You're always the, the last one to the to the party, right? It's, it's yeah. access over knowledge by and large in, in the majority of these places. Exactly. And I've started using this analogy that like IPOs are just a way to dump on retail, right? Like in the vast majority of cases, especially today, like by the time a company gets to IPO, all of the or not all, but most of the upside is gone, right? Like I, I saw a really great chart the other day that basically said like if you invested a thousand dollars in Google when it IPO'd, it would be worth three million dollars today. But if you invested a thousand dollars in Facebook when it IPO'd, it would only be worth five thousand dollars today. And you know that's partially because Facebook's a newer company, but it's also because companies just IPO so much later now that you don't have you don't have these like early like nine figure IPOs like they're almost always 10 or even 11 figures uh and Coinbase that just means being that, a great Coinbase being a great example yeah, of that right 45 billion or whatever right it's, it's like wild yeah so if you're if you're buying stuff after it goes public you're basically just like helping VCs and angel investors get richer uh and there are still like some rare exceptions to that like Shopify I think is a good example but uh you know I, I just think it's generally a bad deal for retail so then then you've got this like whole ICO and like IDO dex offering whatever like liquidity available in in crypto projects and like yeah the vast majority of them are still going to go to zero but that's also true for startups right like most startups certainly never ipo and you know still never like get a buyout or or anything so it does transfer my my 2017 ico wallet can attest to that these (laughs) tokens die (laughs) well and that's the crazy thing is like but it, it almost doesn't matter if you get like one winner right yeah like if you if you make one good choice, it kind of like makes up for all the other ones because I think like Chainlink IPO'd in twenty seventeen and like Filecoin and a few of these others oh, came yeah. out back then. And yeah, if you if you had gotten in on one of those, then like hey, you're you're set. And I think so, so much came to came down to luck uh, uh, in in that twenty seventeen uh, period of time. I remember like one of my biggest returns was on Binance Coin. I I did not mm. strategically invest in Binance Coin. I was trying to like help like one random ICO project that I'd invested in get listed on Binance at the time. And you had to buy Binance coin to vote. So I buy up like a bunch of Binance coin and it was like nothing. I think it was under a dollar at that point per Binance coin. And uh, I bought up like 300 bucks of it and sent it out to loads of people on the, the Reddit subreddit so they could all go vote. I ended up having like 19 or 29 Binance coin in my account that I completely forgot about. And it was worth like 25K. I was like, okay, awesome. this is a great Friday morning. And, and it right. was just complete luck. Uh, yeah. And I, it, it, that's what 2017, I think, felt like a lot of the time. Totally. You know, so in that... It's kind of cool that like, you know, you had that opportunity because it's not like you could have accidentally invested in, uh, you know, Amazon's IPO or Amazon's seed round or something, right? Like, as much as I would love to. <laughs> as much as you would love yeah. to like, have the happy accident. It's just no, it's just not possible, right? For so sure. you, you, you have this opportunity for like democratized access to these opportunities. Uh, and then, you know, you also have this kind of democratized access to creative financial instruments and there really there is a a plus side and a minus side to all of this obviously right like if people can invest in highly speculative assets like they probably will uh but people can also buy lottery tickets right and like i'm not really sure that like shit coins are a worse deal than lottery tickets and i think we like you know we we either i think we tend to assume people are dumber than they are and you know yeah. uh, it's like people are going to, and really rich people like invest in dumb shit too, right? Like it does, just because you have a lot of money does not mean you're necessarily like a savvy investor. Uh, but anyway, I'm digressing. So the, the other side of it was like DeFi opened up these new financial tools to a lot of people. And most of these tools were only ever available to you if you were very wealthy. 
So a, a good example is um, having pretty immediate liquidity on your uh, assets via just like debt. So if you, you know, if you have like uh, a small investment portfolio or you have like a Robinhood account or whatever, uh, you can't like very easily convert that to, you can't borrow against that to dollars in your bank account uh, without like going through a bunch of hoops and maybe not even then, right? Like there, there are It's ways. really tough, yeah. It's really tough. It's really annoying, right? And if you've gone through those hoops a few times and you have a good relationship with a bank, then yeah, it's pretty easy. But like, you know, good luck getting a good relationship with a bank uh, without a relatively high net worth and without like being in a highly banked country, right? Like to use the the kid in Calcutta example again, right? Like he might not have access to the same financial tools that, you know, you and I have access to, right? And like, maybe that's not the best example, right? Like a kid in Honduras. But, but or, yeah, I, I get, I, I see what you're saying for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's largely, you know, for, for the lion's share of all retail investors, it's just, it's not even that it's difficult. It's just not even possible. Right. Yeah. And, and there's this aspect too, of just like earning decent yield on your assets as well. Right. If you're uh, an ultra wealthy person in the U S you have access to some of these like hedge funds and, you know, special relationships with like JP Morgan or whatever, where you can get you know, relatively high returns on your assets through, you know, creative hedge funds and things like that, that most retail investors don't have access to. But all of the best, you know, quote unquote hedge funds in DeFi, like everybody has access to, and you can put money into them in like two seconds, right? Once you, you know, and then wait for the transaction to clear. So I, I thought all of that was really, really cool. And I was like, you know, this is just going to completely destroy the current banking sector over time, right? And, you know, either because the current banks will have to adopt and integrate these tools or because a lot of them will get replaced, like the the amount of my financial life that's just moved into it over the last year is, I think, kind of like, it, it would be wild to try to explain to myself a year ago uh, because it's just so much better once you get the hang of it. Um, and, you know, there, there are caveats to that, right? Like I'm pretty technical and so I can like understand what's going on and I can like, you know, read the smart contracts and do whatever. And like, I can be pretty secure. So for most retail, it's going to take a little while to get there. But the idea that like Wells Fargo with all of its branches and insane amount of overhead and, you know, 10 days to send a wire transfer or whatever is somehow going to beat like Ave over the next 10 years is just like absurd, right? Because the the like fluidity of your money and the tools you have at your disposal to kind of like make your money work for you is just it's literally an order of magnitude better than what most people have access to right now and so as that gets easier to access i think it's going to be this just like massive paradigm shift in how we all do finance and that was pretty darn exciting yeah and i, th I think you know the when when you take traditional banking as, as a good example in all of this we saw in the past 10 years, the rise of uh, fintech and most traditional banks had to formulate and build out and have a very clear like fintech strategy in right. inside their organization. I, I think the same is starting to begin to happen and will happen over the next 10 years for crypto. And I think decentralized finance, while is still, even though I think with us being so close and involved in the space, it can feel like it's like a year and a half it's been around forever and we're so immersed in it but it's it's still incredibly nascent and i think the the amount of innovation that's already happening is definitely incredibly exciting for anyone that's even like remotely tech savvy i think gets a bit of a head start in all of mm -hmm. this um and i do think some of the ux will improve over time and when you can get past going onto sites like spooky swap where you're throwing yeah. <laughs> in like serious cash and you've got like graveyards and bats and vampires in like the background <laughs> of the design <laughs> like i think that will start to make people feel a bit more comfortable but you know it's uh it's it's a it's a really it's a pretty incredible time i, I think this has been by far the, pa the the past year and a half since DeFi summer has just been one of the most like magical times in crypto way beyond yeah. 2017 i think well, it, it seems like it's only accelerating, right? Because you have this kind of like compounding effect where everything can build on top of everything else and it brings more people into the space, which means there's more liquidity, which means more things can get built. And, 
you've got all these funds raising more money to deploy and to building new projects and everything. Like it, it doesn't seem to be slowing down. And so, uh, you know, it does feel like things are going to get crazier and it's going to be even harder to stay on top of everything going on. Uh, and so as I was getting into it a year ago, you know, my kind of question was like, okay, I'm pretty interested in this crypto stuff and I'm, you know, interested in this programming stuff. Like, you know, what, what can I like do here? And I think if you're coming into crypto, your, your options are basically like you can do, uh, you know, you can do like trading which I generally don't recommend anyone try to do because you're just going to get f- completely fleeced by the professionals. Uh, you know, you can do investing, right? Where you're just like buying things you believe in and staking and holding and whatever for the long term. And, you know, I think like everybody should do that to some extent, but it's not super active, right? It's not going to consume your day. Uh, you can do kind of the like marketing and education side, right? Which is like what we're doing here, right? Talking about it. And I have like a small DeFi course and a DeFi newsletter. And so like, I do a lot of stuff on the education front. Uh, And then you can do the actual like building, right? And when you look at sort of like historically, you know, who makes the most money in any major like tech surge, uh, it's, you know, the, the two people who make the most money are the people who build things and the people who already had a lot of money who can invest in the people who build things. So if you already have a lot of money, then great. You can just like invest in these projects. You could, you know, give some money to some of these funds who are investing it and just like let them do it all for you. But, you know, assuming you don't, then your, your best option is really to like figure out how to help build something. Uh, and, you know, the way I see it, there's basically like three or four skill sets you can contribute to Uh, a crypto project, right? Like one is writing code. Obviously it's the most valuable. Um, I don't think anything really comes close to what you can charge as a like Solidity developer these days. Uh, There's community management, which is kind of cool because this was never a valuable skill set before like a year ago, Uh, right? Like if you went to a a Web2 company and you said like, hey, I want to be your community manager and I want you to pay me 150K a year plus tokens or plus equity, they would be like, you know, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but yeah. you you can go to a, a crypto project and charge that much and they will happily pay it because that is like what good community management is worth. Uh, 100%. Like- this is like near and dear to me, right? Because, you know, in uh, in in my role over at HubSpot, right? I run the community team. I've, I've watched this happen uh, as one of the teams that I run. And, you know, for a lion's share of the time, communities inside companies or outside they live inside like the support function, they get under service, like they don't get the resources, lower end on the salary scale. Now it's like communities are sexy again. Yeah. And like at another level, it's like the becoming the dominant marketing and growth skill, which I think oh, totally. is like replacing that like product led growth skill from kind of the 2016, 2017 period of time that was just like the hottest thing to have. Yeah, and it's it's uh, a little humbling as somebody who was like very good at a web two marketing skill, right? Where it's like SEO is basically useless to a web three company. Oh, yeah. they're, just like, yeah. la- they're just like they're like why the fuck would I pay you for that? <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's this kind of funny thing, and I, I think part of it is that when your project is largely owned by the community, the community does a lot of the marketing for you, right? Like you don't you don't need to do social media ads or like you know, do SEO or whatever, because the people who hold your tokens are going to be out like shilling their bags and trying to bring more people into the project because, you know, one, they believe in it. And two, they like make money if they bring more people in. Um, and it's kind of like this this interesting model in that sense where, okay, you don't, you don't need to prioritize that much around the marketing front, right? I think like design and, you know, product are still super important, but like, you know, you don't need like a social media team. You know, a lot of this stuff is just not as important. But having a really, really great community manager is hugely important because that like Discord community is kind of like the hub of all activity for your your business. Uh, so it, it's kind of cool in that sense. So that's like your second option is going the community management route. And then you have these kind of like, you know, these skills that have stayed valuable, right? Like UX and UI design. Uh, but with that, it's kind of like this whole funny thing now where if you're like a UI UX designer at a Web2 company, it, it seems like most of your job these days is like, okay, just copy and paste the same like, you know, what it, what is the thing that's invoked now? These like hand-drawn illustrations of people 
uh, proven patterns. Yeah, yeah, just like copy and paste whatever patterns Stripe just put on their website and put it on ours, <laughs> and like boom, design. Look at look at us, we did it. Uh, and then you like come into Web three and you look at some of these websites, and it's just like, what is going on here? <laughs> like, they're they're just crazy. so like they they keep some of the some of the like old aspects right like we still have nav bars and things but then the rest of it it's like all right go crazy right like take some acid and see what you come up with and you, you end up with these hilarious sites like curve or yeah like spooky swap or uh, i basically say to like when when me and my wife me and my wife have discussions about okay like where shall we like put some cash to and i'm like hey look we should we should throw some of our cash into this protocol and i'm, I'm thinking about doing this and i'll be like to her just do me a favor. Don't look at the website because it's going to have you. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> it's it's so. I mean, it, it's hilarious. Just like the types of designs that uh, become popular, and it, it's also it's so refreshing, right? Because the whole like web two copy and paste design aesthetic is just so boring, right? It's so tired, and I think that's kind of like exciting. Or I assume it's exciting for designers. I'm not a designer, but because you can actually like be creative again. Uh, Would you, do you think that's going to change? Because my, my take here is, you know, crypto right now and DeFi, I think in particular, it's it, we're still at just the stage where we're, we're not targeting non-crypto natives that much at, at this stage. It, it feels very much like those kind of designs play very much into like the people that are at least like kind of crypto curious already, it, yeah. you know, it, it feels like there's going to be in the same way that Coinbase started to reach like a level of maturity. You look at Coinbase and they look like a Web2 company and they kind of need yeah. to because of that level of maturity. You think this is going to start happening soon for in like the DeFi space and GameFi? I kind of feel like the actual protocols will not do that, right? I can't imagine Curve adopting a, you know, Wealthfront style aesthetic. But I think what we'll see more of is this... DeFi mullet concept where it's like, you know, business in the front and party in the back. And you've got <laughs> apps that are uh, apps that are built on top of DeFi that obfuscate the confusing stuff to make like really friendly user interfaces for end users. So a, a good example of this is like Donut, like D-O-N-U-T, it's an iPhone app. And they it's a custodial, it's basically custodial urine vaults. And you can like deposit uh, dollars into Donut, and then they put it into Urine Vaults, and I think they like use a little bit of leverage through Ave or something, and then you get like seven percent on your USD uh, via Donut, and it it looks like Wealthfront or Robinhood, you know, it's that same aesthetic, but now you're getting seven percent on your US dollars, and they're just using Urine Vaults on the back end, but you don't have to deal with like installing MetaMask, like buying USDC, transferring your USDC into your wallet, like connecting to Urine, approving, right, like doing all of that stuff. So I, I think we'll see a lot more of that, right? And Yeah, it feels like a lot on you know, a, a lot of the interesting platforms that are being built on top of protocols uh, right now are doing that. Like you, you look at things like, you know, on one hand, you got platforms like Dopex and or protocols like Dopex. And then you have stuff like JonesDAO that are building on top. And it's like, you know, making it a little bit easier to consume. I mean, it's not quite like the the curve Windows 95 uh, interface, which I there's just a lot of nostalgia in how beautifully boring that 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 website looks. Yeah. Um, but it, it seems like I, I definitely agree on your comment around like the, the actual application layer being the user friendly piece. Yeah, and a good a good analogy here is like what we're doing right now is kind of like if we were plugging in manual like Swift details to send money back and forth to each other instead of using like Venmo, right? Like Venmo obfuscates all of that for us, so we don't have to deal with it, and we're just not at that stage with a lot of DeFi stuff yet. So you could like still send, you know, $100,000 to the wrong address and have like absolutely no recourse. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and that makes it pretty terrifying for a lot of you know, people to get into. Uh, and that's why I think there's like still high APRs and, you know, why there's still a lot of upside is that it, it is still this kind of like terrifying Wild West territory. And if you can brave it, there's a lot of like, you know, wealth to be unlocked there. But for, for most people, it's, it's going to, kind of be like you know a bit of a turnoff i also have this theory that a lot of these designs are kind of like uh intentional boomer repellent right where i think 
a lot of what is driving the crypto energy from the like 35 and under crowd is this like general frustration with the existing financial system where pretty much all of the wealth is like held by these like old people who, you know, say like, oh, well, you just go out and get a job, right? Like, well, I went to college and, you know, it worked out fine for me. And then I just like bought a house and settled down. And it's like, all right, well, you know, college is 250 grand a year now. And I'm stuck with $1,500 a month student loans that will actually be like higher when I die, right? Like you guys kind of like fuck us over here. And so we're just going to like create a whole new financial system and take away all of your money. And you're going to have to like buy Bitcoin in 10 years when it's worth a million dollars because you don't like know how to do all this stuff right now. So we're going to make it intentionally confusing so that you have to wait way longer to get in on it so we can take as much of your wealth as possible. Like, I, I don't think that's an intentional thing people are thinking, but I do think there is that undercurrent of like, well, we don't want to make it easier for you. Like we're going to get as far as we possibly can before you can get in on it so that you don't get to profit off of this so that we win. Uh, and I, I feel like there's definitely a, a decent amount of that energy in the crypto space. I, I've definitely noticed that the crypto space by and large is like getting younger and younger. I think it's very much like attached into at most like a millennial crowd right now. And I yeah. think through the pandemic, what we saw, especially in 2020, and there was this perfect storm of DeFi summer breaking out in amongst all of this was kind of like the the rise of Robinhood, I think. And, mm -hmm. and for retail investors, especially in the millennial groups, they got their first taste of feeling what it's like to just like invest their cash, like, you know, into just TradFi, like buying Apple stock, maybe looking at Wall Street bets and all of like the craziness that happened there. And, you know, this then has piqued their interest. Bitcoin starts breaking out with ETH and then everything that started happening in amongst it People are getting more and more used to this, and I think they care much less about the interfaces and the designs because in some ways, I think it's good in that it implies that these things are higher risk. I think when the, the more polished something looks, the more legit mm -hmm. it looks, and the more lackadaisical people can become and more risk on people can become. So I think it can be a good thing for, for the space um, to begin with, at least, but Listen, I would love, look, we've talked a lot about DeFi and kind of your journey. And it's like very interesting, a huge part of your journey that we haven't touched on that I want to be able to cover at least a little bit here is Crypto Raiders, right? Yeah. So to, to talk to me about this, this has been a, a theme of the podcast. I've been very much uh, engrossed and watching your own journey as well as uh, many others in the play to earn space. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what is Crypto Ra Raiders and high level, how do the mechanics of it all work? Yeah, so I'll I'll quickly speed through the rest of the story. Where basically, you know, I had this dual interest in everything going on in crypto, learning programming, decided like, okay, well, I should just like learn how to build stuff for crypto. So went heavy on full stack JavaScript, kind of like <clears throat> building things in React because that's what a lot of this stuff is actually built on on the website. And then the <clears throat> crypto side of it is this programming language called Solidity which you use to actually write the smart contracts that power everything going on in crypto. And the cool thing with learning Solidity is that since everything is on the blockchain, all of the contracts are on the blockchain, which means you can just go read any contract that's been published. Uh, and so there's like no secret sauce really, because if you want to know how Uniswap is built, you can just go read the contracts that power Uniswap, which makes it... Uh, it's still hard to learn, but it makes it a lot easier because you can just go read how these things work and then like build your own versions of it. So, I, you know, I started going down that rabbit hole spent, you know, from like March until I guess it was August, <clears throat> just doing a lot of JavaScript, working on the Solidity, kind of figuring all of that out. And then uh, in, I guess, yeah, it was like July, June, July, August, you know, started getting more into the NFT space. So uh, I had a friend who was like full-time NFT trader. Uh, my one really good trade was like buying a board ape at four ETH and then selling it at like 61. And after that, I was like, all right, I'm done. Like I'm never, <laughs> I'm not playing this game anymore. Like I want, I want off the ride. Like this is just way too stressful. Uh, but it, it, I started looking into, uh, crypto gaming because Axie was huge and I was like a, a really huge gamer. 
uh, for most of my life, right? Like just thousands and thousands of thousands of hours into like World of Warcraft, Diablo 3, StarCraft 2, II, Dota 2, all this stuff. It's basically all I did until like junior year of college when I got interested in entrepreneurship. And when I was playing a lot of Dota 2, my uh, my high school roommate at the time uh, was actually a like, he was one of the moderators for the Dota 2 subreddit on. And so he was like a very trusted name in the space. And he was actually helping facilitate trades uh, for super high value items between players because Dota had like a, a primitive form of NFTs. They had uh, cosmetic items that you could equip that were one of ones. So they would have completely unique color schemes that you know only existed on those items. And the color schemes were one of ones. And some of them that were particularly like beautiful or rare could go for like $20,000. And it, it seemed totally insane, I think, to most people at the time. But to these like collectors who were really into the game, it was like, oh, obviously I would pay $20,000 for this one of one item on this game that has like one of the greatest staying powers of like any game ever invented, right? Like the, the arc of Dota is incredible. It's been being played for like 20 years now. Uh, and almost no game has that sort of longevity. So, uh, but there was no marketplace. So he would be the middleman. And then these people would like PayPal him money. And then he would PayPal it out to the other person, or they would send him Bitcoin and he would send the Bitcoin out to the other person. And then he would like get a tip in the middle or whatever. I don't know how much of it he kept, if any. Um, but it was like, oh, people are willing to pay a lot for in-game assets, right? That was like clearly super true. And so one of my like strong theses coming into crypto and like seeing everything going on with NFTs was people are going to pay a ton for NFT-backed game assets. Because if you look at uh, games that are popular today, like Fortnite and whatnot, you know, they, they make, like, Fortnite does $2 billion a year selling cosmetic skins, right? Like it's insane. And you can't resell them, right? Like I, I, I played Fortnite a little bit in like season three or whatever, which is like really early on. So I have a few of those skins that were that you you could only get then that you can't get anymore, and that I got before the game was like really popular. And so if those skins were NFTs, they'd probably be worth like over a thousand dollars each, right? Like they'd probably be worth a decent amount. But I can't sell them. Right? There's no marketplace. I don't own them. And so. I was like, all right, gaming is just going to be fucking massive on crypto rails because uh, people are already spending all of this money. If they know they can resell what they're spending money on, they will spend a lot more money. And people who people are doing all of this work anyway, they should be able to cash out the value of that work. Because a lot of games are like mostly work, right? Like World of Warcraft, you're you're like mostly farming. You're mostly like you know, clicking on stuff, doing repetitive tasks in order to collect resources and then use those resources for other things. Like it's the same thing as working in like a factory. It's just, you know, we just don't attach the same like dollar value to it. So I've had like a very, very strong gaming thesis for a while. Uh, and then I found Crypto Raiders through a friend and, you know, their their pitch was basically like, oh, we're going to do a Diablo World of Warcraft style dungeon crawler on chain where it's an MMO with like skill leveling and character leveling and, you know, classes and stats and abilities, but like you own the character, you own the gear, you own the currency, everything. It's all on chain. And I was like, well, that sounds fucking awesome. So <laughs> uh, I bought a few characters and like hopped in the discord and, you know, just started talking to people there and sharing ideas. And then uh, one of the people working on it was actually somebody that I knew from the content marketing world because he had run in uh, an ads agency and we had like shared clients from time to time because you know he could do ads we could do seo it was like a really good combination and so he pings me and he's like hey you know uh we're trying to find someone to do the tokens because we don't really like they weren't solidity developers they like figured out enough to launch the nfts but launching an nft project is actually like very simple solidity right like almost anybody who's like remotely technical can figure it out and he's like we you know we need somebody to do this do you think you'd be able to do it and i was like i don't think so but let me go like look into it a little bit and like maybe we can figure something out he was like cool you know we'd rather have somebody who's like 
really interested in learning and growing with us than somebody who um, is like already, you know, total pro or whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, let me just go look before I commit to anything. So I went and I started looking through some of the contracts uh, to do, you know, the, the tokens are actually very easy, right? Like launching a token is like three lines of code, uh, copy and paste. You can do it in like 10 seconds. Uh, that's not hard. What's hard is doing the like DeFi staking, incentivized liquidity, all of that stuff. And that was the part where I wasn't too sure. And so I went and looked at it. And I was like, you know what? I think I could actually probably do this. Uh, so, you know, I went back to it and I was like, all right, I think I could do this. You know, we'll just do like contract deal. I'll like do the tokens, do the staking LP, and then like you guys can run with it from there. I uh, didn't really have any notion at the time that this would become like a, you know, quasi full time thing or like a big project or whatever. It was like, this is a great way for me to just like learn how to do this stuff and help a friend at the same time. Uh, so this will be fun. So spent the next two weeks, like literally almost like 16 hours straight every day, just like coding, testing, building, like not only writing the contracts for the tokens, but the contracts for the LP, figuring out how we should like design the tokenomics for the game, uh, you know, figuring out like how we're going to do staking rewards, getting all those contracts written, getting the site for them built. Like it was this incredible capstone project for everything I've been doing for the last six months because I not only had to do the Solidity stuff, I had to like build the whole website, you know, in React and like get somebody to help me like whip up a good design for it and, you know, plug in all of the Web3.js and all of that. Uh, and, you know, we were originally like, okay, it's going to be 100 million tokens. We're going to launch it at one cent. And, you know, just based on our like NFT sales so far, that seems like a fair initial price and we'll kind of go from there. And then we started getting these people messaging us saying like, hey, you know, I want to put like $100,000 into this when you launch but that's going to be like all of the liquidity. So I won't be able to do it. <laughs> uh, and we're like, shit, okay. So we increased it to 10 cents at launch. We're like, all right, we're going to launch it at 10 cents uh, because people want to like ape in a lot more money than we planned. And they need to be able to do that without like immediately owning all of the tokens. So we launched it at 10 cents. And then, you know, when you launch a token, it just like goes crazy because of bots and everything. And it's like insane for the first two days. But after like... After a day, it had settled at like 50, 60 cents. And we're just like, holy shit. Okay. The, the fully diluted valuation on this is like $50 million. And it like, you know, obviously FDV is kind of like nonsense and meme, but it's still, you know, it, it's something. And uh, I, bet that, I was like, I bet that was a bit of a shock to the system of like, oh, yeah, shit, this thing's real now. Yeah. Well, not only that, but like we, so we airdropped two and a half million of the 100 million tokens to, the people who already owned the NFTs, right? So if you owned a character, for every character you owned, you got like 666 Raider tokens and 6,666 Orem tokens. Uh, and so there were people who had like 100 characters who got, what is that, 66,000 tokens uh, and then like staked most of them. Um, and, and I you know, remember they, the, the, the the APY on your liquidity pools were incredibly profitable at the start. Yeah, it was like five hundred percent or something because there was <laughs> they weren't diluted yet, and so a lot of people got these like immediate kind of like crazy payouts just for being members of the community. Um, and there there have been a few people since then who like didn't sell any of their airdrop and just held it and have now cashed out for like over a million dollars, which is honestly like really fucking cool because amazing. It's like just by being early to this game and kind of like believing in it and engaging and playing uh, and holding on for a bit. Like, you know, we, we've had people send us pictures of them like remodeling their house, <laughs> doing stuff like that. <laughs> uh, it's like, giant it giant crypto raiders sign engraved <laughs> yeah. into marble. <laughs> and, and honestly, like the other thing that's been so fun is like pretty much all of my friends bought a certain amount of it. And so, and it's like, you can't do that in a normal startup, right? Like when, when, you know, when I started working on Growth Machine, my friends couldn't like buy Growth Machine stock, right? But your friends can all buy like the tokens and the projects you're working on. And then they're kind of like along for the ride with you. And like, they're excited too. And, you know, everyone's getting some of that upside. So uh, after that, it was like, well, shit, I should probably keep working on this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it's this funny thing where it was like, you know, it, it was like, wow, a lot of my net worth is now in this video game token that kind of just like I created out of thin air. Um, and, you know, I, I still don't really have a, 
a job, so to speak, with Crypto Raiders. Like I, I'm not an employee or anything. I have like a year long consulting contract, but it's kind of like, all right, well, where can I just like provide the most value here? Uh, not because it's like my job to, but because it's fun to work on and because I want to keep like doing stuff on it. Um, and so that, that's been pretty cool too. So it's like, you know, since then we, um, you know, the, the game has actually been built out quite a bit and the game's like rather fun as crypto games go right now. You know, it's still very nascent and we're in this funny situation where we're like having to build the kind of like hacky browser game while we actually work on like the full game on Unity. Uh, and, you know, we have like this whole on-chain game economy that goes with it. And, you know, within the next week or two, you'll be able to like bridge more of your on-chain assets into the game and you'll be able to bridge your in-game earnings out to, you know, the blockchain so you can like sell your stuff. We like, I think I created the first on-chain like crafting ecosystem. So you can send your raiders off on quests where they collect herbalism ingredients like you know grimweed and eye of newt are the two like materials right now and then you can combine those materials into a health potion and the herbalism materials are erc20 tokens the health potion is an erc20 token all of them have liquidity pools on sushi swap so you can like trade them as soon as you collect them or create them and then in the next week or two you'll be able to actually just bridge those potions in game uh to use them in dungeons and duels and stuff which is kind of cool because it means that, and we're, we didn't seed any amount of liquidity for the, the health potions, at least. So every health potion in existence was crafted by somebody on chain, uh, which is kind of like this neat aspect. And I, I don't think any other like crypto game has played with that yet. And there's definitely downsides to it, like way too many transactions, you have to pay gas fees and shit like that. But it's kind of cool because if you grew up playing these games, it's like, oh, wow, I'm like doing these crafting things that I always loved doing, but now it's like real money. Uh, it's really. I think super neat. So uh, it's just been kind of like nonstop building and like figuring out more of the DeFi stuff since then. And I mean, it's gone crazy well. It's like now the, you know, token price hovers around like $5 and, you know, don't want to focus too much on token price, but that's like a pretty meaningful amount of money for a lot of people. Absolutely. Uh, And the game has like brought in nearly like $5 million in USD revenue in the last six months. So it's brought in more than that in like token revenue. But, you know, one kind of like dirty secret with a lot of crypto games is they'll say like, we made a hundred million dollars in revenue. And it's like, well, you sold, you got a hundred million dollars of smooth love potion, but that's like this imaginary token that has no value outside of your ecosystem. If you can't convert that to dollars, then it's worthless, right? And like, and you obviously can't go sell a hundred million dollars of smooth love potion to Which USDC right tank. now. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, what's your, what's your actual income? So we, we only measure like conversions to USDC. Um, and it's like, I mean, a, a, a startup video game making $5 million in its first six months is just like unheard of, right? Like that doesn't happen. Uh, and obviously we're helped a lot by being on crypto and crypto makes everything more exciting, but it's also this kind of cool new world where like, you know, obviously, crypto has made a lot of money, but a lot of people in the community have made a ton of money too, right? Because there there are people out there right now who will like buy characters that are level one, and then like play on them a bunch and level them up to like level eight and get them some good gear and then resell them for two or three x what they paid for them. So like that's that's a like true play to earn economy in my mind. It's not like you know farm this stuff that lets other people do like breeding so that they can like try to attract more people into the game. Like, you know, it's it's not Ponzi-nomic. It's like, I, I did this work in the game by leveling up this character. And now somebody who doesn't want to do that work can just like buy my character from me instead of having to do it all themselves. Uh, and so that, that's been just really awesome to see start to develop. Yeah, it, it looks... What I what I loved about Crypto Raiders is, is like the layers to it and like the depth of and clear thought that's gone into both albeit an early gameplay experience, but the surrounding tokenomics alongside it versus just like a relatively simple buy NFT, play game, cash out, right? And it's like, you're actually keeping people and giving real incentives there for people to play and their activity inside the game is going to accrue value in the assets that they hold, which is also just like another great pull for people well and we have um, tournaments right <laughs> like yeah yeah i think we do we do a tournament every day with like a thousand dollars in like 
cash prizes. And I mean, there's there are almost no crypto games that one have a deep enough meta to have interesting tournaments and two that are doing like daily esports competitions for their community. Like there's a lot of people who are earning, you know, a few grand a month just like playing tournaments. So like it's pretty amazing. Pretty cool to see. Yeah. Well listen, Nat, I would love to just like continue to talk all day about all of this. I I'm sure I can tell you you love talking about it. We're pretty much at time now. What I wanted to make sure is um, you know, for, for anyone listening that is hearing about Crypto Raiders for the first time, what would you recommend for them to just like get started in the ecosystem? What can they go check out? How can they follow you and, and learn a little bit more? Yeah. And you know, sorry, I, I rambled so much. And uh, no, This is great. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> Den- denied us actually talking about the, the Crypto Raiders stuff as much. But yeah, I mean, uh, Crypto Raiders probably, you know, go to Twitter and search Crypto Raiders and then hop in the Discord is often the best way to start. Uh, you can just go to the site to CryptoRaiders.xyz and there's some guides there if you want to get started on it. It's still a little confusing. Uh, so, you know, it, and that's something we're working on, but there's also just like so much to work on. So uh, Discord is going to be the most helpful uh, for my stuff. Uh, I'm Nat Eliason on Twitter, uh, N-A-T-E-L-I-S-O-N. Uh, and then I've got a crypto newsletter there. I think it's just called Nat's Crypto Newsletter because I can't think of a better name than that. Um, <laughs> it's great, though. It's great. I've been subscribed to it for quite a while. It's really, really Thanks, good. man. Yeah, yeah. So that was on uh, every dot two for a while as of what for you and I is two days for the listeners will be a week or two ago. It's it's on its own Substack now. So just I think it's cryptonat.substack.com. Um, and I mostly talk about like DeFi and GameFi stuff there. So if you're interested in that, definitely go uh, go subscribe. Excellent. Well, listen, Nat, it's been a pleasure speaking to you and uh, looking forward to following along with your personal journey and also with what you're building along with the team over at Crypto Raiders. So thanks again for, for coming on the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. We'll have to do this again sometime. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and want to show your appreciation, why not subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a positive review. You want to catch up on all of the previous episodes? Why not visit decryptingcrypto.xyz, follow us on Twitter at decryptopodcast. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show or just want to leave us some personal feedback, email us at podcast at decryptingcrypto.xyz. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.